one of the prompts that I'll use with my teams or with our clients is, if you took your logo off your marketing material, could it be a competitor's? If the answer is yes, then I think you should be pushing it further. I think that that's the right North Star. You should be pushing for more differentiation, not less. Welcome to Real Creative Leadership, a place where creative leaders can find insights and practical guidance on the day-to-day job of being a creative leader. We focus on real issues, topics, and insights of creativity in the business world. Join me as we explore the best strategies for developing your team, getting others to embrace your vision, and generating amazing experiences. This series is produced by The Stoke Group, and I'm your host, Adam Morgan, Adobe Executive Creative Director and author of Sorry Spock, Emotions Drive Business. And this is Real Creative Leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Creative Leadership. We're very excited to have you listening in with us, and we have an awesome guest today. His name is Eric Fulweiler. He is the CEO of Rival and XCMO, but I'm, I'm not going to go through his whole lineage. I'm going to give him a chance to, to tell us where he's from, but we've had some really interesting conversations before we recorded this, and I'm really excited to dig into this topic. Today's topic is how can we make B2B more creative? Um, you know, there's certainly a history around B2B and we're going to talk through that and, you know, where it's been and where we hope things will be going. But uh, anyhow, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let me just pass it over to Eric here for a minute and let just tell us, Eric, a little bit about an introduction of yourself, your career, your background, how you've gotten into all of this and how it relates to creativity yeah. and marketing. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And second of all, I'm really looking forward to this conversation since the moment you reached out. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear your, you know, your perspective on what we're going to talk about as well. And it definitely overlaps with uh, you know, my experience and the work we do here at Rival and a lot of the things that I'm passionate about in the marketing and business world. So I'll give a quick overview on me um, just to not bore people. And then if you think any of that is more relevant, I'm happy to double click on it and go deeper. But quick background for me. So um, I fell into marketing accidentally. Marketing chose me, I guess, in a way I did not choose marketing. I actually mm-hmm. went to music school originally. So maybe there's some connection to the creative conversation here, but actually as a musician, I was going to be a jazz musician. I was much more about um, the science than the art, actually breaking down music and understanding kind of the numerical and the data side of how you actually create something that resonates with someone. But either way, uh, I realized I did not want to try to make a career as a professional musician. And uh, I got into the nonprofit world. So I worked for the Clinton Foundation HIV AIDS initiative in Latin America, and I was going to be in, in that world in government and public service. I got frustrated relatively early on. I think part of that was just being 22, 23 years old and thinking that you should have more of an impact on the world than you do. But either way, um, I was kind of like, all right, well, how about I go into business? learn how to actually build organizations and teams that can change things. And then maybe at some point come back to nonprofit and, you know, after you've done well, you can come back to doing good, that, that whole idea, which I'm still hopefully on the path to do. I've never gotten a job that I've applied for. All of the jobs that I've had have come from people that I know. And so this first job in marketing, which was as a, basically a social media strategist for Forbes.com, although it was not called that because there was no such thing as social media strategy back in the day. <laughs> um, but I, I ended up sitting down with the CEO of Forbes.com and he was like, I think we need someone to figure out this social media thing. You're young. 
why don't you come in and do it? And I was like, all right, fine. And they put me, my title was publisher recruiter because that was the closest that they could get. Mm. So helping, working for a woman who was kind of building out their network of bloggers, essentially. And that's how I fell into the world of web 2.0, digital marketing, advertising, uh, all this stuff. And so from there, um, I met a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, who was a wine vlogger mm-hmm. um, and was and had, had just set up a company called VaynerMedia, which was 15 people and a dog. Actually, there wasn't even a dog. It was 15 people and a bunch of wine boxes in a conference room in Midtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked for him for seven years in VaynerMedia. Now it's, I mean, it's gotta be one of the biggest independent agencies in the world. Um, and so that was a wild ride. I worked at Mullen Low for a while as kind of like a head of digital type thing. So 10 years in the agency space. And then, um, most recently before setting up rival, I was the CMO of 11FS, which is a FinTech venture builder. So basically we built challenger banks around the world. Um, and then I got back together with two people who were part of the leadership team with Mia Vayner to co-found Rival late last year. So that is, I said it would be brief. I guess that wasn't all that brief, but hopefully it was interesting. And I think at the very least, it'll provide context on the rest of our conversation. Oh, absolutely. Let me provide some of that context to our readers because I think this is critical. So you would ask me beforehand, you know, who are the audience? Who's the audience of this of this podcast of real creative leadership and the natural instinct is, oh, it's just creative people, you know, writers, designers, videographers, people who are in the creative field. But this is like you're here for a very good reason, because you think about your background being in music and everything. Of course, of course, that's creative. Like even the scientific stuff, like my background, I did a, I was going to become a, a chemical engineer and that's what I went to university for. But it's like you and I, when we start to kind of look behind the curtain and see how things work in business that we see the value of creativity. We see the value of emotions and those experiences and personal connections. So to me, that's just like a perfect example of context. Like the audience here is not just creative people. It's anyone who believes that creativity can impact business and that good, deep, emotional, creative experiences as customer experiences are what's going to move the needle for, for business. So that is absolutely relevant. So anyone listening, whether you're creative or you feel like you're not a creative, we're all creative. We just tell our stories in different ways with data and with graphs and with other things, maybe not art and paint and, and words, but it's still all the same thing. So anyhow, that's, that's the important part that I want. It's, to it's so funny that you ended up there with the end of kind of that, um, that spiel. Cause that's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking is so many people, myself included would label themselves as not creative. You know, particularly if you come mm-hmm. up like in advertising agencies where there's literally like people whose title is, and job is to quote unquote <laughs> be creative. I think creativity at the end of the day is just about putting things together in new and different ways to deliver value for whoever the audience or the customer, or whatever, whatever the end goal is. Creativity is a means to an end of doing that. There's not one way to do it. You don't have to be the Don Draper, brilliant artist sitting in a room coming up with 11 ideas on a slide. There are many different ways to go about it. And so I actually hadn't really thought about that before you brought it up, but I think that's such a good point um, that's relevant to this whole conversation. Because even when you reached out, it was like, you know, creativity, do I label myself creative? And I went around, I walked that around a little bit and I was like, I guess I do, but probably not in the typical sense, but there shouldn't be a typical way to think about, be, or do creativity. No, not at all. In fact, as part of my book, when you even dig into the neuroscience of it all, like really strategy and creativity and 
business strategy and marketing. Like it's all the same function. It's all the same thing that you're doing in your brain. You're just expressing it yep. in different ways. So I absolutely believe that we're all creative. And so the reason why this conversation is so appropriate is we have someone from a marketing CMO background and then someone who's traditionally been quote unquote in the creative department his whole life um, talking about, you know, how do we make B2B more creative? And I think that's, that's totally valid. So let's get that conversation started. I would love to hear from you. Let's, let's start in tradition. Where, where is B2B traditionally located and, and talk through like in terms of, you know, sales plays or how things are set up. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we want to talk through that because I think it'll resonate with a lot of people who work in B2B companies of what the machine is set up right now in their current, at their current work. Yeah. So I, um, you know, my work in advertising agencies and definitely now in our work here at Rival, I am incredibly passionate about B2B marketing and B2B brands. And part of that is because of the way I'm going to answer this question. B2C, big consumer brands get a lot of the love, attention, buzz when it comes to marketing because so many of them by default, because they're trying to reach such a wide audience that they can't actually talk to people mm. individually, are very brand and marketing and creative led with how they grow. B2B businesses, and for anybody listening in a B2B business, you know this, are typically not. They are typically sales led. And so I think there's that of course, it's an overgeneralization, but I think on average and in general, B2B businesses are much more sales-led than B2C businesses. And what that means in reality is at the very least, and I think, and I'll come back to this in a second, I think you're starting to see this change with the challenger brands in the B2C space, but the traditional mm. incumbent B2B playbook for growth is to be sales-led. And that means for marketing that at the very least, marketing is typically misunderstood, underinvested. It is not realizing its full potential as a growth engine for the business. And at the worst, and I've seen this in many cases, marketing is actually subservient to sales in there, mm -hmm. you know, exists to support the sales function, if not rolls up into it directly. And the big thing for me is I do not believe there is only one way to grow a business. However, I do believe that at the end of the day, sales and marketing play two, you know, related, but should be relatively interdependent roles in growing a business. Sales is about converting demand and marketing is about generating demand. Another way of putting that is sales is short-term cash flow, marketing is long-term cash flow. And so if you are only sales led, if you are prioritizing sales over marketing, it means I think you're leaving long-term growth and long-term cash flow on the table. And the passion piece for me and why we get so excited about doing work in the B2B space and working with trying to build challenger brands in that space is what that means is that when it comes to marketing, if all these organizations have these marketing muscles that are not as big, strong, and toned as they could be, there's a lot of opportunity out there. The bar is lower in many B2B industries to come in and actually take a more brand marketing creative led approach to how to grow these businesses. And that is absolutely true. And what I've seen, um, there's a certain style of B2B. Like when you go look at B2B websites or B2B content that's sent out there. And that's, let's be real, like as part of that machine that you talked about from sales, it really is building all this content, sending it out there, getting your AQLs, flowing them through the, the, the funnel and getting them up to the final sales stage and, and then, you know, closing the deals and all that kind of stuff. So it's like there's a common language. There's a common flow to all the work we do. And I think that some people feel like 
like to be legitimate. And I've had people tell me this in my own company and past companies that it's like, we have to look and smell and feel like a traditional B2B company with the same, you know, very corporate-y looking websites or very, you know, bland, I guess, creative. It's just very, very tried and true. So changing up that, that that's like the short term. The short term is how do we focus quickly on these deals that are in front of us and not building when you're talking about long-term brand or long-term reputation or content and creative that has a, a longer shelf life. Yeah. And I'll just jump in on that real quick, because I think that there is a reason that it all looks the same. And that's because everybody's working from the same playbook. You know, those examples of marketing content, the reason that it all looks the same is because it's all, a lot of it's driven by sales. How do we generate a lead? How do we get someone to buy this? How do we get one, get someone to express their interest? Whatever that is, that's the output that creates what in many cases is, you know, not creative to put it politely and sometimes boring and bland to put it more <laughs> realistically. And so I actually think to what you said, you know, and I know there's a lot of organizations that kind of trend in this direction when it comes to marketing, but I think that if you're especially intentionally putting out marketing that looks and feels like every other business, I honestly think that you're, you know, missing out on opportunity for sure, because differentiation is such a key part of building a brand that people care about. You know, I um, have a good friend who's the chief strategy officer at Havas, and they put out this report every year. It's a little bit more B2C focused than B2B called Meaningful Brands. And everybody should definitely go check it out. But what they find is the vast majority, I think it's something like 75% of brands could disappear tomorrow and people wouldn't care. And I would imagine for B2B brands, you know, that percentage is even higher. And a lot of that comes down to, they don't mean anything to people. And they don't mean anything to people because the material and the marketing and the communications and the activity, the story that they tell to the world does not have differentiation because it does not have creativity within it. And so, you know, sometimes I, when I was CMO and, and now with clients, one of the prompts that I'll use with my teams or with our clients is if you took your logo off your marketing material, could it be a competitor's? And it might, you know, if the answer is yes, then I think you should be pushing it further. Chances are you can't have it be no every single thing you do, but I think that that's the right North Star. You should be pushing for more differentiation, not less. And that is a tough one because I've heard that my whole career, yeah. pull the logo off. But it, it, I think it's because sometimes it, it, that just ends up being just the look and feel you know, discussion. But I think there's a deeper discussion too around what is even that the thing is standing for? What's the main, yes. you know, the, the heart of the message? What is, what is the tone and the quality of the, like there's so many other elements that I think that you have to look at when you're looking at differentiation beyond just, hey, do we have a unique style of photography? Totally. And I think part of it is the look and feel, but actually mm -hmm. a little look and feel, a little design, a little creativity can go a long way, especially in the B2B space. You know, the last business, 11FS, where I was CMO, a lot of our differentiation was just that, you know, we spent a lot more time on design. We cared about design. We were a product business. So even when it came to our white papers or our webinars, we were trying to design a user experience. How many B2B marketing teams are intentionally trying to design a user experience or a look and feel in the same way that they would a product? So I think even mm -hmm. the look and feel, I think that that is an opportunity and a bar that can be raised and can be pushed by B2B teams. But a lot of it has to do with the substance and the story of the business as well. We talk about yeah. um, four principles to what we believe here at Rival makes successful challenger brands. Being relevant to the needs of the audience you're trying to solve, being authentic in the sense that what you're saying, you can actually back up as a business, 
being differentiated, which is what we're talking about, and then being dynamic, constantly learning, changing, evolving with the world around them. So I really think that those four things, you know, for marketers out there, I think you got to be thinking about how you can constantly, because it's such a competitive world right now, even if you feel like you're doing as much as you can right now, six months from now, nine months from now, 12 months from now, you can probably be doing more. But those four things, including differentiation in the middle of it, I think is so key to building a brand that hopefully people actually care about. I like the second and the fourth one a lot, especially, you know, authenticity and then also just being dynamic. By the way, we will put the, in the show notes, we'll put the link to that uh, okay. Havas report that you mentioned. Yeah. There's another one that you and I talked about that I want to bring up because it relates to a lot of this, which is the B2, B2B Marketing Institute has put out some great work around this whole topic of, you know, attention and what you're really trying to sell. And, and, a, and a part of that, that they talked about that's pretty controversial is this idea of, you know, it's not so much all about your brand loyalty. It's not about all these other elements that you're building. Like you're really just trying to, you know, use elements and logos and look and feel and all these things to put up a good kind of personality that people will connect with and then just feel like they're meeting someone. Like just as you go to a cocktail party, like the person you want to be around is someone who's kind of oozing a good personality or, you know, that dynamic thing that you talked about and the authenticity thing that you talked about. Um, so it's not even so much of like, we get so worried in the depth of the deeper brand terms and, and jargon, but it's really just like, you just got to be a really nice person and be there in their face all the time. Right. Like, I think that's an interesting part of that relates back to your, to your earlier comment. Yep. Agreed. Well, let's talk about this then. So we talked about long-term and, and short-term um, talk about long-term being more branding and short-term being more sales, but what is the right balance of all of that? So as, as a, let's, let's walk through that a little bit of like when we're building a more creative B2B brand, what are the actual activities that you're recommending that we need to do beyond just like have good design and good and good look and feel? Is it still, is it just that it's doing all the same, you know, different types of articles and content and videos and, you know, pull type of content that really has, or is it more like the discussion around value of what it brings versus just repeating buzzwords? Like, I'd love to just dig into like what makes yeah. good creative for B2B. And then also what's the right balance of all of that? Like, certainly you're going to have to have your funnel and your AQLs and all of that, but how much, how much should we focus on this creative stuff versus just also the nuts and bolts that are going to keep the machine moving? So I believe that in general, whoever is more long-term oriented has the advantage. Now you can't be indefinitely and entirely long-term oriented because there are some short-term things you have to track and goals you have to deliver. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're working in a, in a company, um, you know, that's probably going to be much more of the reality depending on the organization. But I think what you see with successful brands, successful businesses, honestly, successful people and professionals as well is they are more, not entirely, but more oriented towards the long-term. Because fundamentally what that means to be long-term oriented is that you are prioritizing the value that you can bring to the market you're serving more than extracting value from that market. And I think that that will always do good things to help you grow. Now- oh, I love that. Sorry, I wanna repeat that. Giving more value than taking value. From yeah. the audience. That's awesome. Yeah. And that, uh, th honestly, that is my, yeah, I don't know, maybe we'll do like a wrap up question and I'll repeat this, but <laughs> the number one thing I was, um, I was like writing an interview for a FinTech magazine and they were like, what's the number one piece of advice they've ever received? And I've actually never thought about that before. Like I've, 
learned from so many people and, you know, read so many, like, but I don't, I've never actually thought of like, what is the one thing? And I had to think about it for a while. And what I wrote down comes from Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk and his Mm. whole thesis, his whole brand, all of his businesses are focused on and come from this idea of bring 51% of the value to any equation. And, you know, you can't spend seven years with anyone, much less a guy like that and not have uh, some things rub off on you. And that is definitely rubbed off on me in terms of my life, how I built my businesses, and certainly how I think about marketing. I think value needs to be the North Star for any modern marketer, B2C, but particularly B2B, because so few marketers actually do it. To the conversation we were having before about why all the content looks the same and how it's all prioritizing lead generation, all of that is extracting value from the audience that you're trying to serve as opposed to adding value. Now, at the end of the day, the role of marketing is to drive growth of the business. It is not just to give without any expectation of return. However, to the long-term, short-term oriented thing, if you can be long-term oriented, if you can focus more on adding value, people are going to want to spend more time with you. And actually, at the end of the day, we spend a lot of time talking about creativity, content, what's the message, where do you show up, channels, et cetera, the execution the thing that matters most and the scarcest and most valuable commodity for any modern marketer out there is attention. Mm -hmm. You need somebody's attention before you even have a chance to deliver a message to them. And so I think that needs to get prioritized more. And the way that you get people's attention is you add value to them. Whether you're a marketer, whether you're at a cocktail party, like you were talking about, people want to talk to the person that is interested and wants to hear what they have to say. And so value, like all roads lead back to that at the end of the day for me. I know Can I, I throw off on one a bit thing of a, about that yeah, too? It's, go for it. It's not just, I think, gaining, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it's gaining attention is the, the door in, but in B2B, it's holding attention. Because yes. these sales cycles sometimes are like a year and a half. And so it can't just be a quick flash in the pan that you care about value and that one guide that you send out. And then after that, you're doing just email, email, yep. email of extract, extract, extract. So I totally hear you there. And, and that would be my push. Like, keep that attention throughout that whole cycle. Yeah. And you know, the sales cycle might be a year and a half and the pre-sales cycle might be four years or five mm-hmm. years. So again, to the long-term oriented point, to the adding value point, I really think it all comes down to this. And you mentioned the, the, um, the research that the LinkedIn B2B Institute has put out. One of the stats from that, and they're kind of trying to make it a, a rule that B2B marketers follow, they call it the 95-5 rule. And that says that in their research, and of course they have something to gain from this, so take it with a grain Mm -hmm. of salt, but I do think it's true. And I think people anecdotally will see it as true based on their own experience. In general, 95% of B2B buyers are not in a buying cycle at the time you're trying to reach them. So 95% are not even in that one and a half year cycle. They are in what comes before, which is they're not looking to buy something. They don't even know that they need to buy something. Mm -hmm. If you are only going to market with a sales-led approach, you are only speaking to the 5%. What about the other 95%? That's where marketing comes in, is you are building an audience, you are attracting and retaining attention so that when people actually do go into the buying cycle, you have the awareness, you have the equity, you have the consideration. In my my CMO role at 11FS, I can't share the specific stats, but the impact of all of the content that we put out with the intention of adding value, not focused on the 5%, led to tremendous uptick in inbound leads, of course, but also velocity through the sales cycle, um, response rates to outbound, 
basically across the board, the sales health metrics were so much higher for people that have been exposed to our, let's call it 95% content, content that we put out that wasn't directly trying to generate a lead. You know, there's not one way to grow a business. There's not one way to do this. Even if I am preaching, you know, this brand led or, you know, we're aligned on there needs to be more creativity in B2B. There's plenty of B2B businesses that have been very successful without doing this. So I'll put that out there. I believe in this and I have seen it work, but I think you need to be realistic about the type of organization that you're in. And every organization is going to have a different balance to how open and capable they are of taking this type of approach. It's why I took the CMO role that I did at 11FS because the CEO really believed in it and was doing a lot of it before. So I think there's just the reality of, you know, you can change people and you can change organizations, but at best it's a dial, not a switch. And I'm sure everybody has had those conversations with the CEO or the CFO or your product team or whatever it is, um, where part of it is kind of education of trying to bring people on a journey to help them understand the opportunity with this. More tactically, some of the things that I've seen work, if you are, if you do want to push this agenda, you know, within your organization, I think any change comes about top down and bottom up. The top down is probably what a lot of people are already doing. Have a conversation, try to convince somebody, tell them the theory, share them, you know, the Adam Morgan podcast and book, <laughs> try to, try to kind of shift their perspective. At the end of the day, particularly when it comes to CFOs and a lot of CEOs, you know, they, they, they'll believe in numbers if you show it to them. That is kind of the universal language. So if you can kind of go bottom up, take a small product within your portfolio, take one campaign, take a quarter of next year, some type of pilot program where you can prove success. Now it's hard because this whole thing is about being long-term. How can mm -hmm. you prove short-term success for a long-term strategy? But I think there are ways to what you said about design. You know, if you, if you invest twice as much in designing your next white paper, do you see an uptick in conversion? You don't have to prove the entire gospel to get someone to believe that they should be reading the book. Another one that I know we mentioned before that I'm a big believer in is some type of framework for investing in new and different ways of doing things. So there's one out there that I really like called the 70, 20, 10 framework, mm, which I think yeah. comes from Coca-Cola or IBM. You know, it's been out, been around for a while. And what that says is that as a breakdown of your time, budget, focus, however you want to use it, 70% should be going to tried and true, what you know works, likely what the CEO and CFO are have already signed off on. 20% should go to some extension of that, something that's a bit outside of that zone, but you're pretty sure will work. 10%, and this is the one that I think really matters, should go towards moonshot ideas, big ideas, risky ideas, but if they work, they can deliver real return. And sometimes it's interesting, or it, one avenue that could be interesting to try to get people on board with doing more of this is to try to get sign off for some type of 10% or 20% budget. And I think that um, it'll be harder for people to disagree or push back on that being a good idea, because I think there's plenty of research and data out there that you need some type of experimentation in order to continue to grow. What's interesting about this, your, your answer to how do you create a culture of creativity hasn't even talked about the creative department. I mean, you're talking about proving the value to you know, leadership. You're talking about building a culture around marketers and others and how they shape their plans and how they work towards. I think that's really fascinating that 
and you made some comment earlier that's like it's not always like the way to get to great creative isn't just the people who are making the creative it takes the whole team to really believe in it yeah and i think part of that is who i am you know, while I think I'm creative in many ways, I was not the creative director. I was not in the creative department. My job was to create the environment and opportunities for creatives to be successful. It was to sell in the scope. It was to write the brief in the right way. It was to set the client expectations. And so I think naturally that's how I'm wired when it comes to the creative process is what do I need to do to set everyone else up for success? But also, you know, chances are, if you're in a creative role, you're probably pretty good at what you do. And so the constraint, especially if you're in a B2B business, that's not creative led is likely not your ability. It's the opportunity to actually do what you think should be done to take those creative risks, to push the boundary a little bit, to have more opportunity. And so, yeah, maybe it's a you know a bit of a different interview and conversation than the folks that you usually have on. But I actually think, you know, another way of saying it that I've heard from people before is like, there's the work, and then there's the work around the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think regardless of which one of those you own, both need to get solved for in order to push things in the right direction. And you need to partner. I, I think, you know, I'm not saying that the creative leaders have a free pass and like, oh, just let the marketers sell it all up and create the culture yeah. for you. Not at all. But I think it's a, a building the relationships. And I, I like what you also said, because I believe in this too. It's It's the education. It's the, the convincing isn't a quick show them something and say like, oh, of course, let's change everything. It's really more of them, you know, it takes a long time to get the story across and for people to understand the value of this long-term thinking and, and to really go all in and it's not, it's not a switch. So I do appreciate that. Something that I always tell the, on the show is that if you want to lead, you have to read. And that's still an education too. It's not about just educating stakeholders. It's educating yourself and getting the data and the ammo and everything else in line so that you can have those conversations. Totally. Well, actually, that's an interesting thing. Like, so you mentioned, you know, one thing we were going to talk about is what do you measure? How do you prove it up? And I think having the example of at least one case study of a some product project that that worked, I think, is valuable. I'd also say something that I hits my plate a lot is like when people come up and ask, "Hey, I work for this really small B two B something something obscure company. How do I get it to be more creative?" And sometimes I have to look at just the business strategy and say, "You have to also. It's not just the people that you have to." be careful of and, and train and t teach, but it's also the business itself. Like if it's a operational efficiency business, chances are like there's very little room for however much long-term creative thinking there is going to be in that business. So I'd, I'd take a look at that as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's kind of what I was saying about, you need to know the organization you're in. You need to know the reality, the perspectives that you're starting from, and there's the things you can change and there's the things that you can't change. And so you need to make sure that you kind of take stock of that before you figure out your change agenda and how you want to push that forward. Maybe we'll just end on any last advice that you'd give creative and marketers, how they can make a bigger impact. Um, how can they work together? What are maybe some small steps beyond just getting a good, maybe even before you get a good campaign together, what would be the first things that you would work on? You know, maybe this is recapping a bit of what I've said already. I think figuring out what are the relationships? Hmm. What is the human landscape around the work that you want to do and the creative agenda that you want to push and um, make sure you're paying as much attention to that or someone is paying as much attention to that, even if that's not your responsibility, because that's going to enable what you want to do. I really think the 70-20-10 framework or some type of structure that you can get people bought in on to ensure that you are intentionally putting aside time 
mm-hmm. budget to to do in, to do creative things. Um, another one that I love is uh, I had a client at one point who told us as the agency, he said, if I don't see at least one idea in every presentation that makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to be unhappy. <laughs> and so I think there needs to be, whether you're the creative or you're the leader of creatives or whatever that is, I think you need to kind of 70, 20, 10, one idea that makes you uncomfortable, whatever it is, you need to create that environment and expectation that people should be pushing the envelope. Cause I think that's where great creative work comes from. The only other one that I, I didn't really touch on yet, uh, that maybe is helpful for people it's less tactical, but it's more of a mindset that might be interesting is, um, you know, we had the whole conversation about attention. Mm-hmm. And so what I did as CMO, my last company and kind of what I believe modern B2B marketing should be modeled on is actually looking at um, how media companies are structured mm-hmm. and what they focus on. Because if you think about it, a media company's business model is attention. They're in the business of attracting, retaining, and then monetizing attention. And so my last job, what I did is I actually split the marketing department into a marketing team that interfaced with sales and was focused on more of that short-term, you know, demand generation um, type of play. And then I hired someone to head up the media team, which was basically all the content and events that we did. And the difference between just doing content and events and a media company is he did not, he only had media company objectives. His job was to build a modern media company for the audience that we were trying to reach around what we stood for as a business, what our point of differentiation was in the market. And ironically, you know, in the short term, that didn't generate a lot of returns for the business, but actually in the long term, and it's part because he and the team were so good at it, you know, we had a pretty big audience that was constantly coming back to us. And it was starting to function as a media company to the point where we actually started generating revenue on the sponsorship of the content for what we wanted to do to drive growth of the business anyway. So I think as a perspective shift, I think that's interesting for people to think about is how can you think more like a media company and not as much only as a marketer? So maybe that's helpful for people well, as well. I would love I think those, a little more detail yeah. on that. So when they had objectives that were only focused on a media company, Am I getting it right? Where it was like they were focused on building an audience rather than selling product. Is that kind of a, correct? An easy way to yep. say that. That's it. They were focused on adding value as opposed to extracting value. And it's actually it's not that um, it's not that it's not that new of an idea. You go all the way back to the Michelin Fine Dining Guide. What's a tire company doing? Michelin Tires creating oh. a fine dining guide. You know the Michelin. I didn't Michelin know that. Guide of rating restaurants. It came from the tire company. Because they wanted to sell more tires in you know late 19th century France or whatever it was. How do you get people to buy more tires? You give them excuses to drive more. Huh. Let's tell them about restaurants that they could drive to. Red Bull, you know everything that Red Bull has done around buying sports teams and having people jump out of spaceships and you know all that. There's literally Red Bull Media or I forget what the name mm-hmm. of the company is actually called. It's a different division. Guinness Book of World Records. And increasingly, even in the B two B space, um, I wish I could think of some of the examples, but I know Salesforce and a bunch of other HubSpot. They're buying media companies because they see the value or the necessity of having attention. And it's no longer enough just to do basic content marketing. You need to push it further and actually set up or think like a media company and not just a marketer. Well, it comes back to that whole story of value. And when you think of your brand as the product, we've had discussions about that before, where it's like not just 
the means to get and sell your other product, but you think of your brand as a product and then you have to create content that has value around that brand. I think that's, that's exactly where we need to be for the long term. Yep. Well, this has been great. Thank you. I, for those who are listening, I hope this was educational. Like I, this is, I'm so happy, Eric, to find a kindred spirit who believes so many of the same things. Not that, you know, we have this bias of believing the same things, but just to know that out in the middle of the world, we can all come to similar conclusions of what's, you know, the value of what you bring to brands and how you go about doing it. There, there is a, a, a good way of doing that. So I appreciate uh, talking with you about all this. And we will put all the links in there. You can all check out all these research reports we talk about or the B2B Institute. And we'll send some links of some videos and some articles for you to read as well. So you can get up to speed and feel like you're also an expert when it comes to making B2B creative. So as we conclude here, Eric, uh, let's, first of all, how can viewers or listeners follow your career? Where can they get a hold of you or follow you or watch you? What are the channels they would find you on? So our... Uh, website for the company is wearerival.com. And then I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can uh, look me up there, Eric Fulweiler, assuming my name will be spelled out in the show notes. And then you can also email me directly, eric, E-R-I-C at wearerival.com. Ooh, that was a bold move given the email. I've done that a few times. Sometimes it so works So few out. people take me up on <laughs> it. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to put it out there. I always say like, for the introverts, here are the websites. You can go to realcreativeleadership.com or you can find me at adamwmorgan.com or maybe on LinkedIn. And for the extroverts, here's the email. <laughs> you can contact directly and we can keep the conversation going. So that's pretty nice. fun. Thank you everyone for listening. This was a fantastic show on how you can make B2B more creative. As always, this show is produced by the Stoke Group. If you need an agency to help with creating value and content, you can go to thestokegroup.com. We'd also invite you to engage with us in any way on uh, any of our channels. So you can leave a comment on our website. You can go to YouTube and leave a comment or any of the many podcast platforms that you listen on. So we just appreciate you engaging and asking questions and letting us know if this content is valuable for you. So thanks again. We hope to see you on your next episode. Eric, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Real Creative Leadership. I'm your host, Adam Morgan. This series is produced by The Stoke Group, a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in content marketing, video, and interactive experiences. If you're looking for a partner to build a strategy and content that delivers, visit thestokegroup.com and connect today.